This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey there, podcast listeners. We will get to the Greek death metal and centenary episode in a minute, but I just wanted to pop in here at the outset to express my sincere gratitude to all of you for listening over the last 100, which I think is technically 104 and 100, or 105, but whatever, episodes of this podcast. A couple weeks back, we went over 150,000 downloads, which is crazy to me. And yes, since there was some confusion on Twitter, that's total, not per episode, because frankly, if we were doing 150,000 downloads an episode, I can only imagine that I would personally be doing something horribly wrong. I want this to be the Velvet Underground of Mets podcast, only a few thousand listeners, everyone starts playing shortstop or something. And I promise to keep doing this as long as you keep listening, and no one is stupid enough to offer me a job in baseball. I think we are all safe on that last part. Anyway, let's get on with the show, but on behalf of myself, Rob, Greg, Chris, The Steves, Alex, Matt Cowan, Robot Eric Simon, and Sightbot, I raise my glass of 100 proof, okay, technically 124 proof, bourbon to you. Cheers.
Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to episode 100 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I cannot believe we have done 100 of these, or myself and various people. I don't know how many I've actually done out of the 100, and it's more than 100, but it's episode 100. Anyway, I'm your host, babbling as usual, Jeffrey Paternostro, with me this week for our milestone 100th episode is Greg Karam. Greg, this week, uh, it was announced that Fred Wilpon is the new chair of the MLB Finance Committee. So we're gonna we're gonna shake up the opening question a little bit, little bit this week. It's not a question per se. I know it's been over a decade since either of us took the SATs. We have an SAT analogy. Or oh if, if Rob was here, I would I would preface it as a, a little bit of a match game. So I'm sure that's something he watches on the Game Show Network. I could see him just, like, bundled up in bed at, like, 9 o'clock watching match game reruns. <laughs> but it goes a little like this. Fred Wilpon is to chair of the MLB Finance Committee as blank is to chair of the blank. Oh, boy. Well, obviously we're talking about, you know, if I was to work this, uh, like, an SAT problem, you know, we're obviously talking about somebody who's not well-equipped for the uh, chairmanship of uh, the thing that they're going to be doing. So, yes, thanks for explaining the joke. Hey, you know, got to roll with it. So I'm going to say, uh, you know, Jeff Wopon may be doing sensitivity training for, you know, employees learning how to, you know, behave appropriately in the workplace. It'd be like that office episode. Yeah, there you go. So and there's a lot of different ways I can go with this. I thought about doing a soccer reference. There's always pro wrestling. Uh, and there's always the Mountain Goats, too. You know, three of my four favorite things. And I'm drinking a glass of bourbon, so we've covered everything. And it was just announced today that the Mountain Goats are releasing a album solely of songs about pro wrestling. So I am in the zone. But we're going to keep it somewhat accessible and try to stay on the beaten path. Keep episode 100 under 100 minutes. And another unsurprising answer for me, uh, Gabriel Yanoa and chair of the Society of Bearded Gentlemen, which is a thing, according to Google. That's surprising, but I would say... It's not that, surprising that exists. No, but I would say that, uh, you know, his beard took a step up last year, and... It couldn't have gotten much worse, so... Yeah. I do want to say, though, with all... You know, we made a lot of jokes on Mets Twitter about the Fred Wilpon situation. Just unmitigated snark and sarcasm this may be unbecoming of us as a fan base but at least one news source Mets news source out there just dryly reported the news that Fred Wilpon was chair of the finance committee with no unnecessary sarcastic commentary so I salute you Mets blog this is episode 100 we're off to a roaring start Uh, a lot of ways to go with the episode title as well um I was tempted to call it uh, A Century of Fakers after the Bell and Sebastian song. Uh, primarily for the lyric, uh, I will drop you straight away. Oh, that's the chance you're going to take for every stupid thing you say, which I think is very appropriate to this podcast over our last 100 or 104 episodes, whatever it is. I could have gone back and counted, but I didn't. Not a surprise there. Because it's a pretty regular edition of Amazing Avenue Audio. Because, as we've said before on the podcast, we never plan more than a week in advance for anything. Not even, like, counting the number of episodes we've actually done. 
for a little opening uh, as part of our opening remarks for episode 100. We saw the title. That is how we roll. We do have the title of the episode. A lot of ways you can go. You know, if you want to take it as sort of the 2000 season, if you're so inclined, there's a Bobby Jones one hitter. A variety of other exciting things. Yeah. But uh, given the current mood in Metsdom, Mets fandom, we're going with the Armando Bleepin' Benitez edition. Mm. Which probably needs no further explanation. No, no, it does not. So it would have been nice as part of our celebration. This isn't very celebratory. We're just doing a regular episode. But for the purposes of this uh, conceit, it would be nice if the Mets had given us some actual news to talk about, Greg. Well, I don't know if that's going to be happening anytime soon. They might be They might be done. It doesn't look that way. So we will kick things off and turn it into a little bit of a Nationals podcast. I did consider starting the episode with the Bad Brains classic band in D.C., but Eric yells at me when I use actual music that we don't have the rights to. So you can call it Federal Baseball Audio. Call it what you will. We'll talk a little bit about the Max Scherzer deal. Signed with the Nationals this week for seven years and $210 million, Or 14 years and $210 million, depending on how you want to do your accounting. We're talking about what it means for the Mets, if anything. And then we'll answer your emails. We have some emails on the Mets finances. So yes, we will talk in a little bit of Yuan Mankata and the seven-figure video board. No, it's not getting its own segment, nor is Gonzalez Herman getting traded to the Rangers, and I consider them on par in terms of Mets stories I will talk about in January. Yeah. So that's the agenda for episode 100. We'll kick things off with some podcast trivia, Greg. Oh, yeah, yeah, you have no, <laughs> ch- you have no chance of getting this. So my first episode of this illustrious podcast was episode four. Where Rob and I talked about our two thousand, the Amazing Avenue two thousand twelve Mets prospect list. Wow. Who were the first two Mets I mentioned on air in that podcast in January of two thousand twelve? <clears throat> well, it's got to be. No, no, no. We do it at the end of the show. The rules are still the same. You have time to think. Oh, thanks. That's going to help me. <laughs> so while you ruminate on that and whatever wrong answer you're going to come up with. We'll talk a little bit about Max Scherzer. Uh, and I want to frame the discussion this way before we get into, you know, what does it mean for the Mets? Was it a good deal? And the actual uh, unique structure of the deal. What are the Nationals getting in Max Scherzer? You know, I, a few weeks ago on the podcast, uh, we had a question about that. And I've sort of been beating a drum that the Mets should have signed an elite starter because if they weren't going to upgrade at shortstop, which they're clearly not, um, the market, free agent market, was more... loaded with arms than shortstops and the upgrade from you know one of Nice G and Cologne to say Max Scherzer was about as large of an upgrade as Wilmer Flores to whoever they could have gotten in trade so I'm going to frame it this way how many pitchers just we'll start with this the 2015 season how many pitchers in baseball would you rather have on your team than Max Scherzer there's only like Maybe two. I mean, uh, yeah, and you know, one of them I was going to say, you Darvish, but he's a guy who just coming off an arm injury, so there's really not that many. Um, 
you know, he's a top ten pitcher. I I honestly the guys I would clearly take over Max Scherzer for 2015. I think my list is Clayton Kershaw, Felix Hernandez, and that might be it. Yeah, I mean, you get beyond that, it, it's a it's a bit of a a bit of a toss up, you know. Those guys, those two guys, kind of clearly stand out. But you know, Scherzer has stood out himself the past couple of years. I mean, he's been know, a, he's been an elite level pitcher the last two years, and he's also a high strikeout guy moving into an easier park in the easier league. And yes, we can adjust for that, obviously. But I think there's that a, the the advantage Scherzer gets may outpace the sort of standard sabermetric adjustment for that kind of stuff. Yeah, and he's a guy. He's a guy who goes out there and can throw two hundred innings, and he just strikes a ton of guys out. I mean, they definitely upgraded their bullpen. I mean, their uh, their their rotation by bringing him in. But you know, the the biggest thing that they got out of that is they they now have some crazy depth in their rotation as well, so that they're going to be able to have the flexibility to deal with any injuries or whatever might come up. You know, because they have Roar and. Uh, Whoever else, I mean, I think I assume that's the guy who's going to be getting out of the rotation to make way for Scherzer. So, and he had a great year last year. So, yeah, so I saw some. I don't know if it was John Heyman or some other, maybe Morosi, some national guy on Twitter mentioned that. Oh, like, I can't, really, how much of an upgrade is Max Scherzer over Tanner Rourke based on Tanner Rourke's 2014? Like, well, a, who's more likely to repeat their 2014 season, Tanner Rourke yes. or Max Scherzer? Right. And you still have, you know, again, Max Scherzer moving to the easier league. Uh, and a more of a pitcher's park, but that's not. This wasn't a deal about 2015 because they're not going to resign Jordan Zimmerman, and now they have the flexibility to just go for it this year and take the comp pick, you know, trade him at the deadline even if they're uh, have a yeah. comfortable lead in the NL East, which looks probable <laughs> on July 15th or July 20th. That could they could be lapping the field at that point. And then I mean, plug in they, Tanner Rourke and be fine. And then they weren't going to resign Zimmerman, so they're replacing what whoever their sixth starter would have been in 2016 with Max Scherzer. Sure. Yeah, and and they only need they're probably only going to need eighty something win you know high eighties to win the division anyway. So they're going to have a lot of flexibility. I feel. If there's any, if there's a bit, like a bigger lock in baseball this year than the Nats winning the East. I don't know what it is. I want to say like the Twins losing 95 games. <laughs> uh, yeah, One thing that was funny when I was doing research for this, um, I was looking at wins above average since 2012, which was sort of I don't want to say his breakout season, but because he was pretty good in 2010, bad in. Or not bad, but not great in 2011. Um, but I just happened to pick 2012 and 2014 as my my endpoints. He's third in baseball and wins above average, behind only Kershaw and Sale, you know, ahead of Cole Hamels, Felix Hernandez, Johnny Cueto. But the difference, this is more of a Clayton Kershaw, fun Clayton Kershaw fact than a Max Scherzer fact. But the difference between Scherzer and Kershaw, and Scherzer was, was again, third on that list, is the same as the difference between Scherzer and the 18th pitcher on that list. Damn. That's how good Clayton Kershaw is. 
Yes, he is better than Madison Bumgarner, in case you didn't know that. Three start, three starts. It did. It was kind of a thing, shortly after the World Series. Well, yeah, the juxtaposition there of the playoffs was not very good for him. Sure, let's let's lean on those three starts. Yeah. One thing I love about Max Scherzer is something Mark Simon tweeted out a couple of days ago. One of the ways I think his success is more sustainable than most pitchers. I don't know. Pitchers are are weird beasts, as we know. Um, Scherzer is among the best in baseball, uh, really just behind uh, Chris Sale in 2014 in terms of getting swings and misses inside the zone, which is uh, Brian Bannister's favorite stat, actually. It's a sort of, it's a sort of a proxy for how dominant your stuff is. Yeah, how often you can get these guys it's, to think they're going to hit it and then and then miss, you know, that's... It's a fun it's, list, though, because behind Sale, who's at 23%, and Scherzer at 22%, is probably five pitchers that have literally nothing in common, outside of the fact that four of them were at one time in the Mets system. It's uh, Marco Estrada, R.A. Dickey, Yusmero Petit, Jacob deGrom, and Colin McHugh. Wow, and they, they could have a great rotation this year. <laughs> <laughs> they all get it in slightly different ways, too. Obviously, Petit is like high-end deception. McHugh just throws a million breaking balls in the zone. Uh, Dickey, all right, Dickey. <laughs> all right, he doesn't even know if it's going in the zone. Yeah. Um, and DeGrom, I don't know. I think DeGrom, it's a ability to sort of change eye levels with the fastball kind of thing. Yeah, and it's the ability a, to mix a two-seamer and the four-seamer. That's a good sign for DeGrom, certainly. That is, yeah. I mean, I don't know how predictive it is or how uh, I mean, swinging strike, year year. swinging strike percentage tends to um, stabilize quickly, mm-hmm. relatively speaking, to other statistics. So I would say you see swinging strike in, in the zone is not markedly different in terms of stabilization point from just swinging strike percentage generally. So, I forget. I could look it up. It's not a hard thing to search for. But it's only a few hundred plate appearances, so... I imagine it's not too many pitches in the zone to get that, uh... get a feel for that. Yeah, I guess it's really not too much of a fluky stat. Um, That's good for DeGrom. I'm excited. It is. So we'll get to the contract itself, and, you know, yeah, it's a contract the Mets can't offer. We know this. It's just this. But I don't think it... Do you think it's an overpay on the national end? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, for the market value of what these pitchers are going for these days. Um, and and just, like you said, I mean, how good he is, or how good he can be, you know, compared to, I mean, even just average uh, production. He's a guy who can really separate them and you know, just kind of make them stand out in terms of their, you know, the quality of their pitching. So, I mean, it's, you know, obviously like anything, you know, it's, it's always going to be a lot of money on the back end. And in this deal in particular, obviously they're going to be, you know, paying years, years down the road. So, but I have trouble, I have trouble saying it's an overpay because, you know, they're obviously, they have a window here, you know, they're, they're, they're making, you know, a run at it. And he's he's a great pitcher, so obviously we'll have to see how it plays out. But 
I don't really feel like it's too much of an overpay in this environment where you know money's getting money's money's cheap. You know, it's baseball teams because they have so much of it. You know, he's the highest paid right-handed pitcher in baseball history, and yeah, the last however you want to calculate the money. The last it's tough because of the structure of the deal. Say, oh, the last few years are going to be are going to be bad for them. The last few years, he's you know not going to be under contract with them. Right. They're just going to be paying them. It's all deferred money. Um, but this is, you know, looking at it in a vacuum, if it was just seven years, $30 million a year, you know, he's the best right-handed pitcher in baseball, and he's getting paid the most, which is the ben- one of the benefits of going to free agency. Yeah. Um, and I don't, like, the idea, like, when stuff like this happens, like, oh, it's deferred, so what's the actual, like, you know, c- actual cash value in 2015 dollars, you know, you got Ken Rosenthal tweeting about the tax implications. Like, who, if you're a fan of the team, who cares like how the deal is structured it in no way shape or form stops the Nats from adding players in future years um so why do you care really i mean i know as mets fans we have to care because like every dollar spent is precious so so precious uh, but for most teams that are swimming in uh the influx of TV money, both nationally and from regional cable networks, it's just not that big a deal. Yeah, and, and you know who who knows how this plays out down the road. You know, I mean, even though you know time value money, whatever, fifteen million down the road could could be not a great situation for the Nationals. You know, it, there's it's a long time to be paying a big chunk of money. I mean. $15 million is going to be a, a healthy chunk of their payroll down the road. But, you know, who cares? Like you said. I mean, the owner is 89, out. so clearly he does not. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit. So. But there's nothing wrong with that. It's like I said last week on the show, the one thing you hope from your owner is that he's going to spend his money and go for it. Yeah, and, you know, whatever. Like, 15 years, it's just such a long time away. Like, uh, it's just ridiculous. They, they could have their own... You know, regional sports network by the time that happens and you know it won't be anything and I mean literally the extra money they may sue out of Major League Baseball and the Orioles from Masson might just cover this in perpetuity okay. so yeah so it's a good gamble for them and they get one they get you know one of the best pitchers in baseball and yet that's the other issue there's no other way you get an elite pitcher well what well, yeah I mean other than you have to develop him or you have to pay him out the ass you know right? and if you develop him you're still gonna have to pay him out the ass yeah, pretty when much. It comes. Well, like, like, uh, like you, you were discussing on Twitter about Harvey and, and what you'd have to offer him if he had a good year this year, you know. And you know, you know, John Lester, who is a very good pitcher. Do not get me wrong. Two point two wins above average since two thousand twelve. Got one hundred and fifty million. Yeah, where where are you finding uh, wins above average? Is that Baseball Reference? Yes, I just okay. it's it's right there in the play index search. Okay, I'm just this is my. I'm using so my 2015 resolution on the podcast. Which I think I already broke last week. Is I'm using war more as a descriptive type metric because I think it's just more comfortable. We're more comfortable with that kind of parlance when I say a a two win player or a four win player, or a six win player. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if we're talking about like what the player's actually done, I want to look at value above average. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm moving away from replacement level in my old age. 
Okay, that's fine. Yeah. And from talking to and following Christopher Long on Twitter, essentially. Christopher Long, all right. He's a San Diego Padres consultant. And uh, replacement level, just we all know what average is. We can all calculate average. The numbers are all there. Um, I mean, replacement level is only really an issue when we're looking at playing time. Right. You know, so a, a player that is zero wins above average in 150 games is more valuable than a player that is zero wins above average in 50 games. But we know that. Yeah. We don't need to. There's very few cases where there's a major uh, playing time adjustment to deal with, and we can just do that with a simple playing time adjustment, sort of you know intuitively. Yeah. Right. So that's why we'll see how it goes. I'm willing to be swayed. I like it. I'm, I'm not used to it, but I'll, 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 I'll roll with it and see how it goes. We'll all adjust together. <laughs> so this is a Mets podcast, Greg. Oh, that's right. What does this mean for the Mets other than pain? Uh, yeah, every time somebody signs one of these big deals, it just uh, further just kind of gets me a little, you know, a little irritated, a little angry, just that the Mets are where they are, you know, with the bottom 10 payroll. They're not able to do these kinds of things because they just don't have the money. They're starting to admit it. And it's just it's just frustrating. There's no other way to describe it. You know, it's just frustrating that you know, there's a New York team. I mean, not even just a New York team. It's a baseball team in a league flush with cash. And the Mets are unable to be competitive when it comes to player acquisition um, because they don't have money. And you know, here we are. You have Michael Kadir, and that's our off season. It's just—it's a little frustrating. John Mayberry Jr. is very sad. You forgot him. As is Sean oh. Gilmartin. No. <laughs> you want to talk about replacement level? <laughs> uh, and for the Nats, you know they—they they can still trade an arm for a premium major league return. And on paper, this is a better rotation than the Mets, and. A better lineup than the Mets and less riskier, I think, lineup than the Mets. And oh, yeah, yes, they're not, they're not banking on Wilmer Flores. <laughs> Weird things can happen. I mean, the Nats were the clear favorite in 2013, and that didn't work out. But <laughs> yeah, who's the Braves this year? Yeah, I will say this is something that uh, Mike Farron mentioned on Twitter this morning. There's the Cards, the Dodgers, and the Nats, which are going to be your sort of clear Vegas favorites going into the season to win their divisions. After that, it's pretty much a free-for-all. Like, who are the, where are the wild cards coming from? The Giants lost some players, and their pitching staff is has some injury questions, let's say. The Padres did a bunch of stuff. Yeah, but the Marlins. The, the Marlins did a bunch of stuff. You know, the Pirates. I think will probably be in on it. The Reds. I don't know what they're doing. The Cubs got better, but how much better? You know, there. You want to talk about Delta in your lineup? And they're going to be baking, banking on a lot of young players take a step forward. Yeah. You know, the Mets are going to be in that sort of seventy-eight to eighty-four win preseason projection mire. You know, Max yeah. Scherzer, which they who they weren't going to sign because they have no money, but that kind of a move 
in terms of sort of like marginal their point on the marginal win curve is huge. You know, if you think, I think as we said last week, you know, Zips thinks they're an 80-81 win team. You, know, you can find a 3-4 to four win upgrade over your fifth starter or Wilmer Flores. That's gigantic given sort of the shape of the rest of the league. And yes, we don't play the games on paper. Yada, yada, yada. New York Daily News cliche. Fine. But... Oh yeah, no. But I mean, you got to look at the team as comprised. Every win they can sort of, every marginal win they can wring out of this roster, however they choose to do it, is more valuable than a win, say, at this point, the Nats are going to wring out of the team. Yeah. Look, I mean, when you think about it that way. It just goes to show you that a little bit of money could go a long way. With a this, little bit with of this. money. A yeah. little bit of money. Well, $125 million payroll. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because you know what? That, that You go out and sign a pitcher like that. You have the flexibility maybe to move Syndergaard for a player that could upgrade you at another place. You know, and, and, then, you, and then you're in business. But... Eh. And we were saying last week, you know, they if they had flipped, they had sort of flipped Ian Desmond from the Nats to the Mets. That's a that closes the gap. It gets them within sort of the margin of error on this kind of stuff. Now, not so much. You know, we sit here on Mets Twitter arguing about the Mets not having a second lefty in the pen and not being able to afford to bring in like Phil Coke, Dana Evelyn, Dana Evelyn, and the Nats bring in one of the three or four best starting pitchers in baseball. And DC, I mean, DC is not a small market by any stretch of the imagination. They should have a hundred fifty million dollar plus payroll. They can afford it. But this is where we are, and I don't care about the second lefty in the pen because you shouldn't have a second lefty in the pen just to be a loogie. You shouldn't. How many? How many guys? Sixty batters a year, half of whom are probably not good enough that a team won't pinch hit for them. No, I, I agree. I mean, you don't need a guy like Scott Rice who has 90 appearances and yeah. throws 40 innings. There's three guys in the, you know, what? there's what, at this point, how many guys are they going to see regularly that they're going to, that a team won't pinch hit for in a high leverage spot that's left-handed? You know, Freddie Freeman? Sure. Ryan Howard. I, I, I think they will actually pinch hit for Ryan. They're trying so hard to get rid of Ryan Howard. <laughs> I think they will pinch hit for him this year. And every team has a John Mayberry Jr. they can put in in that spot and just make Sean Gilmartin's stuff not look very good. That's not say, my main concern. I will say that every time I think about the Ryan Howard contract, I, it does make me a little happier inside. It is the, the light, the, the, the bit of uh, sunshine when it rains for us, I guess. Yes. Now we move on to your emails. Before we do emails, we do housekeeping. It's Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 100. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. You can find us on the internet at amazingavenue.com. Follow us on Twitter at Amazing Avenue. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash Amazing Avenue fans. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio. You can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast as I now try to open iTunes. I was just in iTunes yesterday updating all my 
playlists for my iPhone and did not checking for reviews. did not check to see if there were new reviews, which yeah. was bad work by me, but nothing. You haven't come to expect after 100 episodes of this shit, so. Let's take a peeky here. Scroll down, see if there's any new reviews. You can also go to mergerecords.com and pre-order the new Mountain Coast album. It's called Beat the Champ. And the first single is on SoundCloud, the uh, Ballad of Chavo Guerrero. Senior, not junior. How many albums do they have? I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot? Okay. Uh, so yes, my new goal for the podcast 2015 is to get John Darnell on to talk about his uh, his new album. We're gonna work on it. There's no new reviews this week, which is okay. Right. We caught up. We had a bunch last week that I had to catch up on. That's so fine. You can also find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from BlogTalkRadio.com/backslash Amazing Avenue, or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Greg Karam. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Karam. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. As always, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And our first email is from... I have an order for this. Yes, JJ Mack. Ahoy, Jeffrey, Greg, Rob, Chris, Steves, Alex, Robot, Eric, Simon, and everyone else who had a hand in cranking out a hundred of these bad boys. I think it's 104. Might be 105. Typically at the century mark, I'd start worrying that my favorite podcast host would get poached by a major league club. We already covered that. I think you're safe. Fortunately, this is a Mets podcast, and the Wilpons probably can't afford you, even assuming you do this for free. Anywho, as a listener, since the 2012-2013 offseason, I will say if we were getting 150,000 downloads a week, I'd be making a lot more money. All I can say is congratulations, and here's to the next 100. This email has a point. Ken Rosenthal recently published a piece at Jabbo, suggesting the idea of Steven Matz as a better prospect than Noah Syndergaard was more than just Wally being Wally. Let's set the veracity of that claim aside in favor of a thought exercise. If you were to make a cogent argument for Matz over Thor, what would it be? Excelsior, JJ, who is in Bogota, Colombia, which I think our first southern hemisphere. All right. We spin the globe. I think we have a Taiwanese listener, but that's not Southern Hemisphere. There must be an Australian listener out there. If you're from Australia, write in. Uh, I don't know if Mookie the cat listens to us when he's in Africa, which is certainly possible, or where in Africa he goes. But uh, have a if you're still there while listening to this, JJ, have an Aguar Diente on me. So there's a couple different ways I can approach this, and I have said previously, I'm on the record, that I'm not... You can. It's. It's not. You can make an argument here. There's an argument you can make. Oh yeah. And there's a couple different ways you can do it. The first argument is this stuff. You know, Matt's plus fastball from the left side, more advanced changeup, and when the curve still needs work, I can project the plus, which gets it. You know, now you're not. It's a hair's breadth away from Syndergaard stuff, and he's from the left side. The command profile is a little better, I think. Now, if you buy into the, the scout that talked to Jason Parks and threw 877 on Syndergaard's three pitches, yeah, you're not getting there. But I don't know if that's realistic at this point. Uh, and, you know, Matt's is older, a little bit behind his development time, probably still more injury risk at this point. That's not the argument I'm going to make, though. 
if I was making a Steven Matz versus Noah Syndergaard argument, and look, I we don't talk about clutch stats for a reason, and I don't want to talk about clutch stats per se. I'm not even going to mention a single number here. I'm going to put it this way, and I have been trying to swear less on the podcast, so apologies, but Steven Matz is a motherfucker. <laughs> not a precise scouting term, obviously. Maybe not going to show up in your report. But, look, it's in big games, he brings it. Yeah. Is that actually a thing? I don't know, but he's done it the last two years in the playoffs. He yeah. goes out there and shows, and he wants it. And you watch him on the mound, and it's just, he's all business. And at the levels he's been pitching at, I think that matters maybe more from like a projection slash scouting standpoint, because you get to Major League Baseball, all those guys have that. I don't care. There's you know, there's a handful of exceptions, guys that coast just on natural athletic ability. But in the vast majority of cases, you get there by wanting it. Steven Matz is a motherfucker. <laughs> now I want to be I want to be clear. I'm not saying Syndergaard is soft or not a New York guy, as you know Andy Martino would say. But you know, if you want to look at the difference between like being a good number three and being a top of the rotation killer, yes, yeah, stuff helps, but there's an X factor. You know, it's not makeup per se. I mean, it, it certainly makeup's a, a part of it. But you know, someone like Stephen Mass, that dude has tested failure. He could not pitch for years. You know, before his season in Kingsport in 2012, that spring, he had another setback after his Tommy John surgery from years ago, just another elbow setback. There was rumors he was going to retire from baseball kicking around. Yeah. You know, that's like looking into the abyss kind of stuff as a 20, you know, 21-year-old, 20, 21-year-old. I think that matters. And sure, Syndergaard might bounce back from, you know, a bad 2014, and the stuff is the stuff. But if you're going to do like a Harvey Wheeler thing here, Stephen Matz is Matt Harvey. I mean, he's not <laughs> Matt Harvey, but he's Matt Harvey. That's fine, yeah. And and, I, I and like that said, I'm that. Still, I have Noah Syndergaard number one, and I wouldn't put Matz number one over Syndergaard, but... If you're going right. to make an argument, Steven Matz is a motherfucker. He is. And, look, I've seen a lot of Noah Syndergaard, and you know, the things that things that he struggles with are you know, commanding his repertoire and, like, just kind of learning how to pitch. Uh, you know, the stuff is, is – it's there. It, it, it flashes, but uh, – the secondary is flash, but you know, he, he, he relies a lot on the, on the fastball and does that kind of stuff just because he can – and because it's 98 miles an hour. I watched one start Steve Matz this year, and it, obviously, I mean, it was a good start. But the guy who was able to command his secondaries and was getting swings and misses on like on all of his pitches, it was just, it was really, really impressive stuff. And granted, it's in double A. Um, but I, I don't think there's as much separation as you see in some lists. Um, I think that you could make that you could definitely make that argument and make that case, but um, I, like you said, I still take Syndergaard over him just because you know, he's younger um, and he, he, the stuff might end up being you know better in the end. But he's younger, he's closer, he's a better athlete, and he throws ninety eight. Yeah, it's it's tough to not take that over Matt, who you know also does have you know, the arm stuff and. 
So. Our next email is from Tom. Gents, one part of the Will Ponds Aren't Going Anywhere story that doesn't get a lot of play is they helped get and keep themselves in Bud Selig's good graces because of the way they handled the draft in the 2000s. Oh, we know. It's not pretty. We've gone over a lot of those drafts on the show. <laughs> they were one of the few teams that pretty much refused to go over slot for picks at a time when there really wasn't much or any punishment for doing so. There was no punishment. So by perhaps costing the team opportunities to sign better players to the draft a decade ago, they're now firm, more firmly entrenched as owners and costing the team opportunities to sign better players both in free agency and from Cuba. I hope whatever Jeffrey is drinking is a double. Tom. Uh, technically speaking, it's not a double, I think. I mean, my not a double for me. My standard, I'm drinking an old-fashioned. My standard old-fashioned pour is usually three ounces. But it's 124.6 proof of single barrel four roses. So So I think if you do the math, which I'm not going to do right now, it's probably in the vicinity of a double. Uh, As she goes back further than that, Tom, the reason the Wilpons are so entrenched is because they helped Bud Selig get his job as commissioner. They are made men. Nobody is going to tell them to go get their shine box. <laughs> and yes, they haven't. Obviously, they haven't stepped out of line much when it comes to the draft or anything else. You know, and even when they were spending a lot of money, they weren't going full Dodgers or anything. You know, we talked on the show about how you know the other owners weren't, weren't thrilled that Major League Baseball extended them such a long line of credit. But I don't think they mind that as much as they mind, you know, the Nationals raising the price for pitching by signing Max Scherzer. It's one less big market team in on free agents, which depresses prices a little bit, which uh, is good for business, as it were. Yeah, as an owner, exactly. Yeah, I don't think, I think they're annoyed by the Wilpons. They're not going to do anything about it. Yeah, and you know what's, you know what just really stinks is that this front office, they got into... You know they they got in they got hired, and then right when they got hired, they changed the uh, the draft rules. You know, right when they were about to start, they were very slot, they were aggressive in the 2011 draft. Right, one thing and then gets pulled out from underneath them. That was like the one. That was one of the ways that the smaller market teams had an opportunity to you know take advantage of some you know, some. Uh, just, just take advantage of the system a little bit and give them a chance. Uh, it is a lot about owners that are protecting, you know, themselves from their own staff, essentially. Yeah. Like, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I, I last week I know, uh, get a, a similar question, a similar question in tone to this. And I was like, oh, you can't pick your team owners. I don't mean to downplay the situation. It sucks. Your outrage is totally warranted. I just feel like, you know, how many times can we talk about it? These are the rules of the game we love. Yeah. Our next email is from Christopher. Hi, Jeff and Greg, probably, or maybe Chris. The A's are making loads of trades this offseason. Do you ever wish the Mets were more aggressive in the trade market every day, as opposed to their <laughs> current patient approach? Yes, patient. Why do you think these two enlightened front offices, the Mets and the A's, behave so differently when it comes to trades? So, that's a good question. Well, here's here's my theory. 
obviously when Alderson was hired, there were a whole bunch of whispers that, you know, this was Bud sort of giving the Wilpons, and I don't even want to call it an ultimatum, but this is the guy you hire to get you through the maelstrom. But be that as it may, there's a very different level of ownership buy-in between the two clubs. I mean, for starters, Billy Bean has a stake in the A's. He is part owner of the team. Yeah. So that gives him more carte blanche. His track record there gives him more carte blanche. Uh, and the A's ownership historically has been more hands-off in general. Whereas, you know, the Wilpons are getting involved in who the second person in the radio booth is on WOR. It's a different level of control. Now, they're going to be signing off on any trades, whether it brings in money or not. You know, it's a balancing act with the budget. You know, the A's trust that... I would imagine A's ownership, this, this is the money you can spend. You can come to me if you need to spend more. But Bean knows the number he has to get to, one way or the other. And he can do whatever he wants within those parameters. Whereas with the Mets, I don't get that impression from having talked to people specifically Howard Magdal, where it's sort of like, it's a moving target. Yeah, I, I don't think that we can uh, totally absolve Alderson of his lack of No, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying like to that. do that. Right. It, because, yeah, right. Because he hasn't... I mean, he's he, very the much... The list of major leaguers that he's traded for. It's short. And he's very tough to deal with. And you would much rather deal with Billy Bean or Mike Rizzo or any number of GMs that will make trades. Absolutely. Because it's just a pain. It's like, why do you want to go through that? And, you know, like the whole Ian Desmond thing. Is it money or is it the Mets not, or Alderson's front office not wanting to trade Syndergaard? Both are credible theories. And I don't think they can take on the Desmond money without, before making a separate move. See, that's the thing. You know, Billy Bean could be over his budget, but if he wanted to trade for someone, I think ownership would trust that he would get under that number come push comes to shove. Anyway, that's just because he's just been there longer. He's a longer track record of success uh, and probably a more hands-off ownership group. That's fair. And that's not to absolve Valdez in front office of the trades they have not made. I don't have the information to do that. It's possible that it's, it's you know, Jeff Wilpon being a jerk. We'd all like to believe that. And again, totally credible theory based on the available information. Yeah. But it's it's not that simple. Yeah. Our next email is from Michael. Has some rapid fire questions, not to be confused with Calvin's quick hits. Number one. Oh, I guess I'll read the intro. Hello, Jeff and Rob. Oh, I forgot Rob is in outer space. No, he's in Fairfield County somewhere. Oh, Danbury. Somewhere. That's not technically Fairfield County. That's technically Danbury County. Is that right? I used, to guy. I used to bowl. I used to I bowled a county tournament there and won. Out in that neck of the woods, but I don't remember what county it was. I don't and think it's won. Danbury County. And won, yes. I won yeah, a team. Nice. I won. We won the team event. I should have won all events. I lost by like twelve pins. I, I will never shoot that high for nine games again. The lanes were, the oil condition was very easy. Let's put it that way. Harkening back to last week's show. Yes. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Um, Rather than a long-winded question that I more or less answer myself, I thought about some rapid-fire questions would be fun. Number one, and we'll as we as we do, we'll take these in the order they are given. 
How can anyone look at the Marlins starting pitching, K's per nine, and road splits away from that Grand Canyon of a stadium and say they are better or equal to the Mets starters? I feel like this is a secondary issue because City Field is not exactly a bandbox. Yeah, I was going to say, you could say the same thing. So for 2014, um, honestly, the, the K rate and the weighted on base average, not that different home road, but there was about a half run spread in ERA. And as a, as a, as a class, pitchers, players are better at home. So I think just you want to look at it, look at who's been taking them out in 2015. And the most recent results aren't solely instructive in this case. But I think, you know, just look at the rotations, the way they line up, you know, one through seven, if you want to. I think in that case, the Mets take it. I agree with you. Oh, yeah. Dan Heron's not very good anymore. <laughs> Dan Heron's not pitching for the Marlins in 2015. Nah, he's going to pitch. He's not he, might, he, might not, he might actually try to tell me, yeah. yeah. Number two, do either of you see Wally Backman and or Frank Viola joining the Mets coaching staff over the next two years? You know, I, I could see something like this happening depending on how this year goes. So, okay. We'll, we'll take these one at a time. With, with Viola, I think the Mets really want to keep Frank Viola. And I think he's really good at what he does. He's going to get a Major League Pitching Coach job in the next two years. So it comes down to what they want to do with Dan Worthen. It's a mixed bag. You know, I have my share of complaints but you really can't complain about how the young arms have developed under him at the major league level there's a reason we call it the dan Worthen slider yeah um, there's also i mean there's been good development within the system you know maybe you could attribute some of that to frank viola who's worked with this uh, a lot of these pitchers on their way through the system i agree with that i think he's a very good pitching coach but i don't know if they find a space for him. I think it actually does tie into the Backman situation. I think my impression, and I'm not as tuned in as some out there, but my impression is I think they're fine on Wally where he is, and I think he's very good at what he does, especially given the, let's call them issues, they've had with AAA affiliates in the past. And I wouldn't be shocked if at some point in time they put him on the major league staff. If if a spot opens up. The sure. problem with that is, given his stated aspirations, it's a story. Yeah. You know, if, if let's say and the Mets also- win 83 games this year, Missed out on second wild card by a couple spots. You know, a bench coach or a first base coach spot opens up, and they bring up Wally. And they 2016, they're committed to Terry Collins. They start 14 and 20. You know, the Daily News, the posts are going to be. There's going to be columns written. Well, look, you know, like last week we talked about how the people who were still listening to the podcast are atypical Mets fans, right? Yes, typical Mets fan loves Wally Backman. And that's fine. Look, say what you will about Wally Backman. It's not just typical Mets fans that love him. Everyone that plays for him loves him. That doesn't necessarily make him a good major league manager, though. Right. But, you know, your typical 
Met fan, and not. I'm just saying, a majority of Met fans. I would say probably a majority. The person calling into Mike's on. Yes, exactly, exactly. Would love for Wally Backman to be the manager of this team. And I don't think if if Collins takes the hit after another mediocre season this year, which I think is possible, um, the hit, not necessarily the mediocre season, which is also possible. I don't think he's the next manager of the Mets. Not with this front office. No, think so. So it's a weird situation. But if they do clean house, I think that might open up a spot for Viola. So if they clean house, they're going to clean house. Right. They're going to have to. See, I don't, I don't, maybe they might clear house the, the coaching staff. I don't see this front office going anywhere. Cause no, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Too much dead money. Right. I mean at sort of the field staff level. Yeah, I got you. Number three, assuming they can successfully make the leap to the majors, who is a better shot of being the Mets' leadoff hitter going forward? Nemo or Herrera, would Ligaris best serve as the eighth hitter? I mean, Ligaris would best serve as the eighth hitter this year, probably. But that's a separate issue. Um, I would say Nemo has the more traditional leadoff hitter skill set. Yeah. Well, actually, he doesn't have the more traditional leadoff hitter skill set. He has an actual leadoff hitter yeah, skill set. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> nice. Uh, and, you know, in the 1980s, Delson Herrera is your leadoff hitter. And, you know, Herrera's approach is decent, certainly. Um but it's not on Nimmo's level. Nimmo's a better base runner from what I've seen. Even if Herrera might, you know, home to first, he might beat him in a foot race. If all goes well for me, I think Nimmo one, Herrera two makes the most sense. Yeah. Also a second baseman, bat second. Always. Always. Number four, did the Nationals outbid themselves? $210 million plus $50 million signing bonus seems so excessive. We covered this somewhat earlier, but I think the deal itself is actually a really smart one because it allows the Nats to sort of placate Scherzer's desire. Because, you know, these guys are competitive. They want to be, you know, Scherzer wants to be the highest paid right-handed pitcher in the game for whatever that's worth. And he can say that. Well, in terms of like present day dollars, time value of money, as Greg said, the unusual structure tamps that down a little bit. And again, you have an owner that's 89 and wants to win. See Tigers, Detroit for what happens when that, you know, you sign Prince Fielder for 10 years or whatever it was. Yeah. Look, I don't think that, I mean, uh, did he get a $50 million bonus? I don't know. Signing bonuses in baseball are different. Yeah, I, don't know I mean, it's not actual, like football. Yeah, it's football's not, a little bit weird. Yeah, I don't know if that's actual, actually true. I did not bother to fact check this. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. No, I don't want Max Scherzer signed to baseball. I want Max Scherzer signing bonus. Because that's yeah, that, that would be. I haven't. I've never heard. Of it does include a fifty million dollars signing bonus. That might just be. Wow. In terms of what it, I don't know what that means in. In baseball terms, though. Yeah, because I don't like, know, I know what, what it means in. I don't know. In terms, <laughs> I, 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 it's it's I probably something in terms of when it gets paid out. Yeah, it means guaranteed money. I, I hear lump sum up front. That's yeah. what I that's what I hear. I don't know. I don't know how maybe that's something to do with the interest they're paying on the back end of the deferred money. I don't know. I'm not an economist or a finance person and you really shouldn't care as a Nationals fan. Or really even as a Mets fan. But on um, in Toto, I do not think the deal is excessive. It's, you know, the going rate for elite starting pitching. I like the deal from a Scherzer perspective, too. Just uh, 
even you do time dime money, all that kind of stuff. But like, I like the idea of getting paid fifteen million dollars for fifteen years or whatever it is. Like, that's that sounds good to me. Five, given the fact that Nimmo is so close and Conforto is expected to rise quickly, could you see Sandy trying to trade Granderson after two thousand fifteen, assuming he bounces back? Great podcast. Congrats on your hundredth show. Fan as always, Mike. Thank you, Michael. If I had to guess of an out if an outfielder they will trade after the 2015 season, I think it's Kadire. Yeah. One year left. One year left. Righty power. Nimmo's probably better off in Yeah, I mean you can play their corner, I guess. These things tend to work it themselves out. You just hope a spot doesn't open up open up via Juan Lagaris offensive regression. But I don't know if that's off the table yet. <laughs> yeah, I also don't see a scenario in which Granderson bounces back to the point where the Mets are able to trade him you know, and all that money. I wrote, Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Well, I wrote about this in my never-ending Mets trade value piece, which I will eventually finish, maybe tonight if I'm feeling ambitious. But it's, you know, Steamer and Zip see him bouncing back a little bit this year. But not enough. It's still proven left-handed power. You know, at three, you know, after this season, it'll be what two, two and thirty-one, six. sixteen, fifteen, I think. You know, at two and twenty-two, if the Mets eat a little money, does that look appealing to somebody? I think it's it's movable, but I think Kadire's easier to move just because of the, I think you know, at one and twelve of that old canard there's no bad one-year deal unless you're signing chris young i guess that would be uh, well let's see how it plays out we'll see how it plays out i think it's more likely kadaya gets dealt just because the deal is shorter and right-handed power seems to be in vogue right now and our final email is from liam hello there jeffrey and beleaguered acquaintance Salutations on this most 21st of January. We're actually recording this on uh, oh, the 21st of January. He did email us today. I have written to query about whether you think Moncada, Moncada enjoys nice whiskey. Now, I, for one, think of him as more of a gin man. I don't think he can legally drink in any of the territories he's lived in yet. I don't know what the drinking age in Cuba and the Dominican Republic is, but maybe it's younger than it is here. Certainly not in the U.S. I'm interested to get your hot take on this matter. Also, I'm wondering whether he's a Mountain Goats fan. Do you know? I don't. Maybe he is. Maybe I have nothing to really talk about during this offseason because I'm in, a Finley, in the Philly market. Thus, I've been joyfully inundated with talk of Ruben Amaro saying, it's not you, wait, no, it's totally you, to Ryan Howard. Now, it's, 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 it, I'm not happy they brought Pat Gillick back in. He seems to know what he's doing. I know. <laughs> now, as much as that fills my little heart with glee, it does not make the Mets any better this offseason. Hell, the only move of significance worth was Michael Kadire, and he might not even play 30 games. Please help me off the ledge here. I'm going stir-crazy without my baseball. I've resorted to playing MVP Baseball 2005 and simming until this year. Liam, P.S. Which Mets do you feel will be the Mets, the best Met blogger? I'm going to take this as blogger of Mets things and not Mets blogger, blogger of Mets blog things. Yeah, well, Colin McHugh is gone. So. Yeah, got, I was going to say, they've gotten rid of all their good blogger yeah. potential. <laughs> they got rid of Colin McHugh. They got rid of Josh Satin. I would got, love to read a Matt Harvey blog. They got rid of Brian... It's just going to be all, like, links <laughs> to, like, SoundCloud of, like, 90s rap songs, I have a feeling. It could be pretty surreal. 
And like him posing, doing like the Tupac double middle fingers, which is fine. I would read it. I would subscribe to his RSS feed, but I just don't think he's the best candidate here. Brian Bannister, another one. I'm so pissed they did not hire Brian Bannister before the Red Sox did. They were putting him on the post game show when he was still a player. He's what? Do, what do you want? It's the Mets. I know. I mean, it's like look, we all love screaming Bobby O. Don't get me wrong. Ironically or otherwise. Yeah. But Brian Bannister on the postgame show would be awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, chin up Liam, it's like 29 games, days until pitchers and catchers report. Something like that. Yeah, and there's a chance that the Mets are not going to be awful this year. There's a chance. <laughs> there's more hope than any other year in the last, like, four or five years. I'm planning on scheduling some uh, paid time off around Gabby Anoa. Spring training starts. That's the thing that's going to happen. There you go. I've got that to look forward to. And I guess you do too, Liam. By proxy. So I'll be talking about them on the podcast in all likelihood. That's the thing that's going to happen. Get invested in the minor leagues. It helps. It does. I'm already uh, planning a trip to cold and probably windy and rainy New Hampshire in April. Yeah. If you like the Mets minor leagues, like... you know, they've been winning lately. You know, I've, I've looked a little bit at some of the college ball. It usually starts up a week or two before the minor league season around here. So, there you go. Whatever works. Um, I guess, like the entire 2014 season is on YouTube now. If you oh, want to really? watch whole games for some reason, it's not very searchable. I guess, but if there's games out there you want to watch, MLB has put them up for you. I'd like to rewatch that. Uh... At least the first uh, eight or nine batters that DeGrom faced in that start where we were recording and he struck out the first eight or nine guys that he faced. I'm I, Yeah. I think you can just, like, search for that actual highlight. I know. If you want to see the entire, like, sequence, I guess you could yeah. go that route. Yeah, baseball's coming. It is. Yeah. I am excited. Super Bowl is going to come. Right, it's a couple weeks, and then and then after, the, that, after that, you got the amazing Avenue Regional Gathering here, which I will plug in a second. Oh, yeah, that's like the weekend after the Super Bowl, and like the week after that, yeah, pitchers and catchers. Yeah, it's coming. You just got to get through uh, whatever it is, two weeks of Balgazi or whatever it's going to be. Oh my god! I don't know. I, I can't even deal with football. Such a lame controversy. I had to sweat out. Spurs beating Sheffield United this afternoon. I don't need American football on top of that. Sorry about that. They won one nothing at White Hart Lane. I don't. I don't. It's the Spurs, so I'm. I'm still fairly confident they'll find a way to. Oh, the blow it. Wednesday won. No, 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 no. They were playing Sheffield United in the semifinals of the League Cup. Because somehow oh, Sheffield shit. United gets to the semifinals of all these cup ties every year. Sheffield. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm getting my teams. You are, yes. Sheffield Wednesday. And... Yes. No, there's two teams in Sheffield. Well, there's only one team in Sheffield, but that's a story. Yeah. <laughs> Those are your emails. Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And now we will plug the ARG. Yes. Let's do that. Uh, February 7th at the Ginger Man. I did not write down a time, which was bad work by me. I think it's like early evening. Like it's like five. five. Yeah, it's not like five. Just show uh, up then. You, you yeah, know, it's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll stick. Like, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. I will be there. I may bring 
my podcasting equipment, which is not particularly expensive, so and try to manage something out of that. If I'm in town, I'll swing by. And 6 p.m., Saturday, February 7th, at the Ginger Man, which is in East 36th Street, between 5th and Madison. Yeah. I have, like, very little excuse not to go if I'm in town. One would think, yeah, since Cause... I'm coming from Connecticut, Greg. Yeah, I kind of live in Midtown Manhattan, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah I hear good things about the ginger man they have a good beer selection they do good beer good bourbon so my bases are covered and that's it it's been 100 episodes it's been fun it has I would I would toast to 100 more but I have finished my drink yeah. which is unsurprising given that it's been about an hour yeah, it's good. I uh, I have no idea how many I've been on for these. Yeah, no, I don't know either. Maybe 20. Yeah. 25? I don't know. I'm just speculating. We might have Rob next week if, we, if the prospect list actually starts rolling out. Yeah, that, that'd be good. I made Dane to enter the comment section. I've been staying away lately. It's... I, it's like any kind. It's like it's... I always sort of held out... The Amazing Avenue commenters is yeah. a beacon of hope in the world of terrible internet comments, but you know, even yeah. e- even Rome fell to the Visigoths in the end, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I can't come up with a metaphor much more precise than that. I think either. Well, I'd like to talk about his prospect list uh, too, because that's that's always fun to talk. About. I will yell at Samba as much as possible. By one reason, I'm going to do it. Be in there, I think. I think that Samba is like invading like Keith Law chats at this point too, which is pretty funny. <laughs> All right, this has been episode 100 of Amazing Avenue Audio. Once again, thanks for putting up with us over the last hundred and four or whatever it is episodes. We'll be back next week with uh, the start of our second 100 or 104 episodes on Amazing Avenue Audio. Cue the Greek death metal. <laughs>